March the 2nd, 2006, episode 20. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. All right, so last time we talked about figuring out how much you're going to charge a client, and we also looked at a way to calculate your hourly rate, which would also help you figure out just how much you're going to charge for those freelance projects or side work or side jobs or whatever it is you want to call it. Well, today we're going to look at how you can collect on that. We're going to be looking at how you get paid. Now, you can go ahead and tell your client how much you make per hour, and they can agree to that, and you can agree on a project, and you get started on it, possibly even finish it. And you're going to find sometimes there's people out there that that want to cheat you out of some of your money, or perhaps even skip the bill altogether. So today we're going to look at a way that, that you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to get paid at the end of your job. And in addition to that... I'm going to point out a couple of things that maybe you should be doing after you collect from the clients. So first things first, it is a new month as we know, and and this of course means that the votes at Podcast Alley have all been reset to zero. So I'm going to need everybody to go out and vote for me once again. Now again, this is very easy. You just go to rookiedesigner.com. Look on the right-hand side at the top of the sidebar there. There's a little form where you can enter your email and click on the vote button. From there, you just have to intercept the email that's sent to you, click on a link, and you're all finished. It's very easy to do, and I would appreciate it if you would. Now, last month was probably one of our best months so far. We ended up with 25 votes total for the month, and we were fifth overall in the education section. And that's pretty much the best that we've finished so far. I'm going to go ahead and set a a pretty high mark for this month. I'm hoping that we can get this done. If we can get 80 votes this month, we can actually move into that second place in the education section, and that would be very good. I I would love it if we can get to there. Now, we can't take over the first spot. That actually is held by tips from the top floor. I don't know if you listen to that or not, but there are many, many listeners there, and they get about 400 votes per month, so you can see the difference in these two shows. They do have a lot more listeners, but from the stats that I've been getting, I've noticed that we have anywhere between 250 and 300 subscribers to this show. So I don't think asking for 80 votes is too much. That's roughly less than a third of the listeners. So really, I would appreciate it if you could get out there and vote for me. It really does help the show. And a couple more reasons why it's so important to me. Actually, of late, I have been looking into adding this podcast to somebody else's podcast network, meaning there's a bunch of different shows that are all kind of combined in some way where they can go out together and try and get different sponsors to to sponsor their show, basically. Just a way for us to make money. As you know, I, I don't charge anyone to listen to this show. I don't ask for any donations, and I don't make any money on it. I basically put in my own time and my own equipment 
And that's fine with me, but I've been exploring a couple of different areas to see if maybe I can make a little bit of money. Now, I'm not trying to quit my day job with this. I just like to recoup some of the, the time and money that I've put into it. So things like this, the voting, the listener surveys, if you guys can take the time to do these things for me, it would help immensely. And well, that's all I'll say on that. So the topic at hand, how to get paid. And first of all, I wanted to go to into a topic that's kind of related, and that is of spec work. And spec work is when you actually spec out a project or you mock up a project for a client, basically to get the job. You haven't even secured the job yet. So basically you're working for free. And I had mentioned this in, a, in an earlier show when we were talking about going to existing businesses and, and maybe mocking something up and taking it to them to show them that you could make their product better, their menu better, or their brochure. And I said, well, in my defense, I said, this is probably a last-ditch effort thing. You don't want to do this on a regular basis. You don't want to do it even too much at all. But uh, I've read a few things since then. I listened to a podcast in particular, and this podcast I will be revealing later on in the show, but they were talking about how bad this is and, and different different reasons why you don't want to do this ever. And they really shed some light on the subject for me. So a good way to put it, and, and this is one of the examples that they had in the podcast, no one would ever ask like several architects to, to each design a building and then look at everybody's design and then choose one basically rendering everyone else's work totally useless. And in the same way, you're not going to ask like two different construction companies to build half a house on your plot of land. And then, you know, whichever one you like best, you're going to hire those guys and then just knock down the other people's stuff. I mean, it's just in the same way when people do this to designers, it's, it's kind of like degrading their work. It's saying, well, I can't tell if you're good enough. So go ahead and make this mock-up for me and I'll decide if your work is going to be good enough for my job. Now you can see that, first of all, if you don't get chosen for the job, it's obviously going to seem like a horrible idea because you just wasted a bunch of time and you didn't get a job. But sometimes there might be a humongous client, somebody that you really want to get, or just you need a job that bad. And it's going to seem like a good idea because, well, if, you know, if I win the design job, then I'm going to get paid all this money or I'm going to have this client on my client list. But really, uh, you have to stay away from situations like that because, I mean, maybe you do win that job, but all the other people who are going against you lose that job. And it's, it's just degrading to, to designers in general. So basically what we're saying here is don't do spec work. Don't ever do it. If anybody asks you to do it, just tell them Tell them your policy is, is not to do that. They should be able to tell from your portfolio what kind of design you do. They don't really need to see exactly what their job is. If, you know, if they're doing a brochure and you don't have a sample of a brochure, they should be able to tell from other things that you've done whether you can do the job correctly or not. Now, when you take these jobs... It also encourages the companies that, that use this process to just keep doing so, which is obviously bad. We want as many companies to stop doing this as possible, and that will alleviate the whole thing of us having even to decide whether to do it or not. Uh, it's also a path to stolen work. 
This is something you have to look out for. When you're giving people work, even if it's not totally finished, you have to think that maybe they might try and steal it, try and steal your designs, even just look at your ideas and steal those ideas and take it to another designer and have them design it. It does happen from time to time. But most of all, I think what we can all agree on is it's it just wastes your time. Now, like I said, it might not seem like it if you get the job, but it's only going to take one time of you not getting the job to to decide that it was a big waste of time. Anyways, that's enough on that. What I really wanted to talk about today, which is, I think, the best way to make sure that you can get paid on your jobs and get paid the way you you intended to be paid, is to use a contract. And for this, I'm just going to kind of be highlighting what is in my contract. There are several different ways to to write up a contract, several different items you can put in there. But I'm going to go over some of the things that I think are most important to have in that contract. Now, the contract is obviously always a way to cover your ass when it comes to your work and your time. You're making sure that you get paid what you and the client agreed on you getting paid for the amount of time that you put into it. Now, even if you know the client, even if the client is one of your friends, I still say get it in writing. Uh, When friends do business, that's one time when friends sometimes become not friends anymore, and you don't want that situation to turn so bad that you lose a friend and you lose out on money. This will legally bind you and the client to the agreement to pay for all the services you render to them. So what goes in a contract? Well, in the first section, you're going to talk about the different costs, and it's good to break it down into sections, meaning you're going to have a section that talks about labor, how much you're going to charge for labor, uh, consulting, the different materials you may use, and by this we mean if you're going to use any stock photography in there, if you're going to have any scanning that you might have to pay extra for, like take it to a lab, uh, any printing if you're offering them printing as well. And in the labor and consulting, you're going to have different estimates of how much time you think it's going to take for each of these. So you'll end up with a total cost for each one of these things, the labor, the consult, and the different materials. And then you'll have a total cost at the bottom there, which will be the total cost of the project, which is how much you expect them to pay you at the very end. Now in the next section, you're going to have a payment schedule. And... The biggest topic in this section is a deposit. Now, when you're first starting out, you're you're first going to clients, you don't have that much experience and they don't know you. This is going to seem like a weird thing and a, a lot of people might not really warm up to the to the idea of giving you money before you even do any work for them at all. But again, I mean, you just have to explain to them that this is the procedure that you use and the reason you use this is so that you don't get burned. And there's two scenarios here. First of all, if you finish the whole project and all of a sudden they don't want to pay you anymore or they skip town or something, at least you have part of that money that you were expecting. And the other way is, and we'll talk about this a little bit later too, if you get partway through a project and they decide to cancel the project, now you didn't waste your time completely because you have some money to cover that time you've already spent. So definitely I would really encourage you to use uh, a deposit or a down payment for each of your projects. You can range it anywhere from 25 to 50%. You probably don't want to go over 50% because that's going to seem a little greedy. 
But, you know, maybe on a first time job, you lower it down a little bit. But I, I would say at least get something. And in addition to that, you're also going to have a statement that says, obviously, the payment is due upon the final delivery of the project. Or you can also give them, give them an option where the payment will be due, say, 15 or 30 days after the final invoice. So you could finish the project, send them an invoice, and give them you know, a certain amount of time to pay you within that. And if you use this payment option where you're giving them extra time, it's a good idea to put something in the contract that says there's going to be a finance charge if they're late on their payments. This way, I mean, you're giving them extra time to pay, but make sure there's some kind of consequence if they don't pay by that day. And that could be anything, you know, a, a standard rate would be like 1.5% per month. So that you're actually making a little bit of money on them if, if somehow they are not able to pay you on time. Now you can also use this if you're, if you're wanting the money, you know, when the final project is handed to them. And sometimes this is a better idea. It's really just up to you to des- decide like how well you know this client or how much you trust them, I guess, would be the bottom line. The next section is about the reproduction of the work that you create for them. And the thing you're really asking yourself here is, who owns the rights or the copyright to this work? And in most cases, you're going to want to keep this for yourself. Now, you should have something in this contract that says that all rights to the artwork are going to be retained by the artist. And if the client wants to reproduce this or alter it in any way, they're going to need to ask your permission. You're going to find this a lot with uh, photography. In photography, there are rights-managed images, and there are royalty-free images. Now, the difference there is royalty-free, you're going to pay one price, and you're going to be able to use that image as many times as you want in as many publications as you want, whereas the rights-managed is actually, you're going to pay, and they're going to have restrictions on how many publications you, you put it in, and going even further than that, they're going to ask you how, many dis- how much distribution there is for this publication, and you're only going to be able to use it for a certain amount of time. And if you want to use it beyond that or in a different publication, you're going to have to pay extra for that. So this is kind of doing the same thing, but also covering your artwork. I mean, you don't want to make something for someone and then have them give it to you know, Joe Blow and have him alter it somehow and, and mess it up. And, and now your artwork looks like crap because somebody else went in and, and fiddled with it. So it's a, it's a way to protect yourself on both ends there. Uh, the next thing, you're going to want the rights to the piece to use afterwards for yourself. So it's usually good to put a line in there about that. If a, a client it feels very strongly that you shouldn't do this, they'll definitely let you know and maybe you can come to some agreement. But a good thing to have in there is saying that you want the rights to use the piece for maybe competitions or other published pieces, uh, marketing materials for your own company. And it's good to tell them that you will actually give the client credit for the piece wherever it's applicable. So if it is written up in a magazine or something, in a design magazine, and you have your piece published, then most likely you're going to put something in there that this piece was made for so-and-so company which will make them feel better because they're actually getting their name out there also, even though, you know, maybe that's not the best arena for them, but it's still going to make them feel good inside. But again, good to put something in there so, so that you can use the artwork maybe even on your website to show other people in a portfolio. Uh, 
Now, I alluded to this next one a little earlier, and it deals with rejection or cancellation of the project. Now, first of all, you're going to want to have a line in there that says the client won't withhold the payments for any reason. The next item will will read something like, if the design is going in the wrong direction, the client is going to notify the designer immediately. And this is important. This goes back to what we've talked about many times of where each time you get to a certain stage in the process of design, you need to have the client sign off on it. And this will make this step easier for them because if they don't like it, they'll say, no, I'm not going to sign this because it's not the direction I wanted to go in. But this just reassures that that they don't let you go five or six steps down the road, and then all of a sudden they say, oh, this was the wrong direction. So both of these things kind of back you up on that. You probably also want to put something in the contract that, that says something to this effect, that each phase, you're going to bring something to them, they're going to sign off on it, and then you're okay to move to the next phase. Now, we get to the part about refusing or canceling the project, you're going to want to have some kind of language in the contract that says that they're going to lose their deposit and they're possibly going to be billed for the additional labor that you put in if they refuse the project at the end or if they cancel it. Now, the reason this works is the step before you kept giving them you know, things to sign off on and they agreed that everything was going just fine. So if you get to the end and they refuse it, they have no reason to refuse it because they agreed upon what you were doing. And again, with canceling, I mean, canceling, I suppose, could happen for a number of different reasons. But again, you're just covering your ass. In case they do that, you can get paid for the time you've already put in. And the last little thing to put in there that's good is to have something that says that if you actually have to go to court over the fees that you think that they owe them, then they're going to pay for your legal fees as well. Now, this seems kind of harsh. But I mean, if you look at standard contracts for for many other things, they're going to have the same stipulations in there. Again, it's just covering yourself because, you know, obviously this lawsuit wouldn't have been brought upon you if they didn't refuse to pay. So you're just setting setting the record straight before you even get into business with this person that they're going to be responsible for these fees. The next section is completion and delivery of the project. And here you're going to estimate the completion date or when you're actually going to be able to finish the project and deliver it to them. You should have something in here that the shipping and insurance cost is going to be billed to the client, unless of course you want to be really nice and pay their shipping for them, which is probably not a good idea, especially if they live across the country from you. And it's good to have something in there that says if the estimated completion date can't be met due to different circumstances, then the designer is able to extend that delivery date. And some of these circumstances would be client neglect or negligence. If if they don't get back to you or if something happens, they cancel something in the middle and then they change their mind or anything that happens that was unexpected to you. If there's any transport delays, if you send it FedEx and the FedEx truck crashes or something. That's obviously not your fault. Uh, Any kind of illness, if you get sick in the middle of the project and there's no way you can work on it, or just any other factors that are are out of your control, these are all things that you should be able to move the, the actual due date back. So it's good to have this language in there so they know that if any of those things does happen, that you have the right to do that. 
The last section is the acceptance of the agreement. And this basically just states that the client accepts all the language above, the pricing, the specs, and the conditions that you have written in this contract. And after that, all you need is the signatures of both you and the client and the date, and you're ready to go. In addition to this, you might be attaching an estimate sheet as well. And this will just itemize the, the different costs of the project, the labor. You might even break down the labor into different items, the consulting, just everything that goes into the project, and then the, the total cost on there as well. Now, that's what I call a rookie mistake. So now that we've talked about how to build a client and how to make sure you're getting the money from them, some people might think they can get around the whole tax thing. And this might be true if you don't do very many jobs. If you only do a couple hundred dollars of work per year, you can probably get around the whole tax thing. Now, I'm definitely not saying that you should do this. You definitely should not do this. But if you do make a bit more money throughout the year, I think the minimum cost is like somewhere around $600, $700 that you absolutely have to claim, then you should definitely claim. And if you're going to claim, don't forget that you can actually deduct a lot of your expenses. Now, I talked about this commercial last time. It's the H&R Block commercial, and it's got the guy in the band. And they're talking about all the different deductions that he can have because he's trying to make this band his job. And that would be equipment, any kind of maybe marketing they do, making flyers, anything like that. And this definitely applies to you as well. So make sure you, you take into account all those expenses. If you have a computer payment, you have payments on your, your software, you have rent. If you use like one room in your apartment only to do business, and uh, that room is actually, say, like one-fifth of the total size of your apartment, then you're going to take one-fifth of your rent. You're going to take one-fifth of your utilities. If you use your cell phone for business, you can, you can use part of that. So just things to keep in mind if you're filing for your business, for your side business, rather. Uh, another good thing you're going to want to do is pay your taxes quarterly. And the reason for this, of course, is you don't want to get to the end of the year. You've made all this money, but you haven't paid any taxes. You're going to owe a lot of money. So my way of getting around this or, or a good way to, to help yourself with this is every time you get paid from a client, maybe take about 35% of that check and put it in a savings account or just put it away somewhere. And that will be your tax money. And this way, you, you from the beginning are keeping your taxes out. You're not getting yourself in a situation, even quarterly sometimes, if you make enough money and you don't pay any taxes and you haven't saved anything, well, you're going to be in trouble when you get to that quarterly payment because it might be pretty sizable. And finally, I would definitely recommend that you use some kind of accountant. If you're using H&R Block or if you're using a private accountant, it doesn't matter. It's just a good idea. They can help you get all the deductions that you have, make sure they're all on there and being accounted for and they can make sure you do your taxes correctly, which is always an important thing. You don't want to do them incorrectly because it could end up actually costing you even more money. Things are getting a bit out of hand. Looks like it's time to go to the bullpen. So our website for today is actually a podcast. 
going to give you the website, but this this is a podcast. It's about design. Uh, the podcast is called Be a Design Cast, which might not make much sense, but the uh, the website is actually a blog for designers. It's called BeADesignGroup.com. And this podcast is made up of like three guys that talk about design. Some of the issues, some of the topics are a little more advanced and may not appeal to everyone, but it's a pretty good show and the guys are pretty funny, so it's pretty entertaining as well. They do have a little segment on there that's called the student design tip, which I think is pretty good. So they're catering a little bit to the students as well. I got to thank Kathy, who is on the uh, forums. She's actually the one that pointed me in the direction of this website and podcast. She actually just started listening to this podcast and said that she's been a, a subscriber to that one for quite a while. So I went and checked it out and I thought it was pretty good. So I thought it would recommend it for all of you guys. Again, it's be a design cast at be a design group.com. That's B E A design group.com. So check it out if you have the time. In closing, I just want to reiterate the importance of uh, the podcast alley votes. And also, if you have some time, please fill out a listener survey, it'll really help me a lot. Again, some things might be changing in the near future in this show, but one thing that definitely isn't going to change is the format in which we uh, get together and talk here. I really don't want any anything to, to change what we have going here because I think it goes pretty smoothly, pretty well, and I've got a lot of positive feedback on the show. So at no cost will I change the format of the show, but I am going to look into options of trying to uh, clean things up a little bit, maybe get affiliated with some kind of group or network and hopefully get a little money out of it but otherwise uh please keep listening things are not going to change too drastically around here and remember everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star that one's high it's got the distance it's out of If words don't mean a thing Then I wouldn't have to sing I see it now My guard, I let it fall, and words burn bright and scald, and so. Peace of